Permanent Deacon talking. The fourth week of Easter. Let the Spirit come down. Let the Spirit come down. Let the Spirit come down on me to change my life around. Welcome to Good Shepherd Sunday. Today we have a short gospel from John, chapter 10, where eternal life is promised to the sheep that follow Jesus. In Apocalypse, chapter 7, we see the vision of martyrs, and Acts has Paul and Barnabas being thrown out of Antioch. We're about suffering today. There is a joyous hymn from Mike Anderson called Sound the Trumpet, Beat the Drum, and a wonderful introduction to meditation with Lawrence Freeman, OSB, who explains the first steps to freeing the mind. Let's begin with Father Dunn's opening prayer. Loving and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Help us always to embrace the mystery of suffering, the cross in our own lives, that as we come to grips with disappointment, that we not allow them to destroy us, to lead us into being people of resentment, but rather that they might be moments that enable us to become more deeply one with you. We make this prayer as every prayer trusting in you forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said, The sheep that belong to me listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never be lost and no one will ever steal them from me. The Father who gave them to me is greater than anyone, and no one can steal from the Father. The Father and I are one. John saw a large number, impossible to count, of people from every nation. These people had suffered, but were promised to be led to springs of living water. There are two unusual images presented in this selection of John's revelation story. The first image is of a group of people from every race who have been persecuted and a second image of the same people being told they will never be plagued by anything again. The reading from Acts also has two challenging images put before us. The first image here is of Paul and Barnabas being confronted by a crowd using blasphemies and counter-arguments to discredit them, and then being expelled from the territory of Antioch. 
The second image then shows Barnabas and Paul on the way to Iconia, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, rather than being resentful and angry. What is going on here? There is definitely some strange happenings in the scripture today. We have the revelation from John not pretending that Christian life will be easy, but he does claim that all will be well in the end. And then we have Paul and Barnabas being hurt and rejected, but nevertheless filled with joy of life. Don't you think there's something back to front and out of step with reality? The only other answer could be that those who have faith in Jesus somehow are able to enter into an upside down world where bad turns into good, sorrow into joy. Father Nick King says that these excerpts are good liturgy in that for those who remain faithful to God, all will be well. In fact, he says the purpose of all good liturgy is to remind us that no matter how disastrous events may appear to be and how things incur in our lives, that in the end, all will be well. This aspect of the good news in the first two readings is amplified in the Gospel where we hear that not one of the sheep that belong to Jesus will ever be lost. This really is good news to hear in times of doubt, uncertainty or during any trial in life because it can bring us something positive to hang on to like when the psalmist sings out he made us, we belong to him, we are his people, the sheep of his flock. Is this a promise from God and another from Jesus when he echoes, I know them and they follow me. Paul and Barnabas did follow Jesus and had the same plan of action for each town they went into. First they would go to the synagogue and explain that the scriptures read out there referred to Jesus and he was the fulfillment of all God's promises. When this was rejected they would simply state that they had been told to proclaim this word of God first to the chosen people but if contradicted it would be time to move on to the more receptive Gentile listeners. These outsiders were obviously delighted with this. The angry reaction of the local dignitaries could become worse, but the two disciples were still not discouraged and, in this case, skipped off. Paul and Barnabas don't run away and hide. They don't seem to avoid the cause of stress, but are determined to repeat the process. They have found the answer to suffering. Or have they? Have they demonstrated a great way to deal with any stressful situation? Next time I am wound up by something, I wonder if I should start by shaking the dust of dismay from my shoes in a gusto of defiance, and instead of wallowing in misery, try to sing for joy instead as I let the pain go. Is this kind of letting go what's being demonstrated by Paul and Barnabas? Perhaps. This is only the half of it. It's not like in Frozen, you know, let it go. There's something else. There's something else needed. The readings today might be the clue to the other half 
of how to deal with situations we come across that cause fear and worry. We can look around at all the bad events in the world and this can add to stressful living and even to a sense of despair. Lack of hope makes many lose that sense of joy and lightness to life. The good news is an attempt to tell us that this doesn't have to be the case. We are being looked after by our Lord, the Good Shepherd, no matter what happens. If we can trust in the Lord, all will be well. The sheep that belong to me hear my voice, says Jesus. The Father who gave them to me is greater than anyone. The Father and I are one. The difficult part in the technique shown by Paul and Barnabas is the second half, that is giving all our concerns and troubles over to the Lord to deal with for us and trusting in this. During the week on Tuesday we had um, the feast of Philip and James the Apostles. Philip was the one who backed up Thomas in the upper room and said naively to Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Philip. Imagine the stress made on the word, Philip. And there it is again. Jesus using the power of simply saying someone's name in a loving way. This time it was to Philip and follows an explanation that Philip should already know. Oh Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if things are difficult for us, perhaps we could try to imagine Jesus calling out our name with love and concern and then shake the dust off your feet with real joy trusting, remembering who the Good Shepherd really is. After this, how can things not turn out to be well in the end? All will be well, Jesus says. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and I call out your name, and I am looking out for you. Who could ask for anything more? In his book, Eager to Love, Richard Rowe describes how St. Francis and St. Clair knew the truth about this message and how it gave them an inner authority to deal with their world. He writes, They lost and let go of all fear of suffering, all need for power, prestige and possessions, and all need for the small self to be important. And they came out on the other side knowing something essential, who they really were in God. Father Richard describes suffering as whenever we are not in control. And he sees that some form of suffering can show us how to live without control by giving that control back to God, letting go, shaking the dust off our feet smiling at any attempts to undermine us, like Paul and Barnabas. Because the one who has the power is Jesus. And to trust that Jesus' way of the cross cannot be wrong. 
With a trust built on this, we can really sing for joy in the midst of sorrow, because Jesus still calls our names in the darkness, and we know his voice, and says in a most wonderful, intimate, gentle, reassuring way, do not be afraid. I will wipe away all your tears and lead you to springs of living water. Who could ask for anything more? for us all Now in or at the foot of the cross Let every tongue confess that you are Lord Sound the trumpet, beat the drum Sound the trumpet, beat the drum to me in spiritual communion. Send your body and blood gushing through my veins 
Send your love into my heart, my soul, my mind. Lift me up to your bosom and infuse me with your divine love. Amen. The Way of Meditation Let me describe the way of meditation that we practice and then we'll take a little time to meditate together. The first element that we develop and practice when we meditate is silence. That means being quiet. So the first thing we do when we meditate is to sit quietly, to be as quiet physically as you can. That means also not moving, not coughing, not unwrapping your sweets, not unzipping your bags or blowing your nose or rubbing your feet together. Basically, not making physical noise. Now this sounds a very elementary step in the great mystical journey, perhaps, but it's one that will always teach you a great deal. John Main says that just learning to sit still, not making noise, will teach you an enormous amount about the spiritual journey because it is a major step, and for some of us the first step, beyond desire. So being as quiet as possible, in a relaxed but serious way, is the first step. But then the work of silence becomes interior, because then we all discover that the mind is not still. The mind is not quiet. The mind is running around in circles. It is agitated. It is full of fears, of desires, of fantasy, of memories and plans. The agitation, the turbulence of the mind, according to the early Desert Fathers, who were the first Christian monks, and it was from them that John Main recovered this tradition of meditation. For them, this agitation of the mind and its distractedness is the real meaning of original sin. It is our incapacity to pay attention to God in the present moment. What could be more simple than paying attention in the present moment? But simplicity is not necessarily easy. God is. God is here. God is now. I am here. I am now. So why does God seem absent? Why does God seem distant? Why sometimes does God seem not to exist at all? It's not because God is absent or non-existent, but because I am not here in the present moment with God. When we meditate, we see all of this as in a mirror. As soon as we sit to meditate, we see ourselves reflected in our own mind as very distracted, turbulent, agitated, insecure, frightened, and egocentric people. Full of dreams, full of fantasies, fears, anxieties, anger, and the fear of violence. If you could analyze what is going on in the mind at any one moment, you'd find that there are thoughts of the past, whether it was what you did earlier today, or what happened last week, or what happened at some traumatic moment in your life in the distant past. And if we're living in the past, we're not likely to be feeling very peaceful or joyful. 
we're going to be feeling either sad or regretful or guilty or nostalgic. If we're not in the past, we're usually in the future. We're planning what we're going to do tonight, tomorrow, next year, when we retire 20 years hence. And as soon as we start to plan, which we're always compulsively doing because this is our way of controlling reality, then we begin to feel anxiety because we know that we can't control reality. Anything can happen at any moment. And so as soon as we start to plan or to reflect on the future, we begin to stir our basic fear of death as well. So where do we go then? Not much peace in the past, not much peace or joy living in the future. So the mind looks, perhaps rather desperately, for somewhere to escape to, and it escapes to Disney World. We move into a realm of fantasy and daydreams, self-indulgence. Daydreaming may be a little break from reality, but ultimately we have eventually to come back right down to earth with a bump. So we don't find much peace and joy in Disney World either. So then where do we go? That question is the beginning of the spiritual journey, which we see in this distinction between the three states of mind, living in the past, living in the future, living in daydream. None of these gives us peace or deep satisfaction or happiness. We can't feel the spring of joy and pure happiness in any of these states of mind. So where do we go? Is there peace? Is there joy? Do we look for it outside? And if so, where? Eventually, this search and the discernment that it involves will lead us back to the only place where we do find God, which is here. And the only time and the only moment where we can experience God, which is now. This is what we mean by contemplation, or the contemplative way of life, or a contemplative state of mind. It's living, being, in the present moment. And this is precisely what we are practicing when we meditate.
Spirit come down, let the 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 spirit